and welcome to episode 101 of The Winning Agenda. I'm your, I guess, host, we'll go with host, Wilfie Horrig, and I'm here with panelist Calvin. So Calvin's been on the show quite a few times before. This will be your, I think, third appearance? Uh, third or fourth, I can't remember. Yes, uh, definitely. Um, definitely coming into the ranks of TWA um, superstars. <laughs> and so something like that, right? And so, yeah, Calvin, been a little bit since we've had you on before. What's been going on since then? I think last time we had you on, you were talking about Malaysian nationals, uh, Malaysian regionals, and Singapore. you were about to go to Singaporean regionals was that right uh singaporean nationals but yeah i went it though that was like nine months ago ten months ago yes that was a while ago yeah uh i went i i i did terribly i came like 24th i think oh no yeah but it was okay what do you think uh it didn't go as well as you planned or uh i just played very badly (laughs) (laughs) that generally doesn't help no it generally doesn't help uh i realized in retrospect, that I got quite lucky in Malaysian Nationals to make the cut. Um, I mean, not to say that not to say that I played horribly, but uh, reviewing the footage, I didn't play very well. So I got pretty. I, I got a little lucky to get into the cut, which is why I was swiftly eliminated from the cut. Um, but it's okay. I learned a lot, and uh, my Nationals play in Singapore also made me. Uh, not made me helped me learn a lot so it's fine and recently there was uh there was store championships here i got third i got third place which i was was quite proud of i got a corona which i was very very happy with oh the nice uh pink looking one yeah that's right and then the and then my girlfriend and i went to the second store championships and then she picked up a second corona so now we both have one oh my god it's all happening and um i was pretty proud of uh, winning a GNK uh, recently because it's my it was my first event win so I was like yes yes and I did it with Shaper and Wayland too so super super pleased with that your two favorite factions and what sort of decks were you playing at that one it was the Magnum Opus Chaos Theory uh, deck which is yeah. kind of like a Swiss Army knifey kind of deck which we'll be talking about more later, actually, uh, if if I'm looking at these notes correctly. When to do a Swiss Army knife versus when to do your own thing. The Wayland deck has, was Argus Security Rush. Um, I kind of... I like two very different styles of Wayland deck. I like uh, the... Not quite super modernism, but close to super modernism, which is a very rushy... I will, I will very aggressively try to score agendas behind a couple of ice that say end the run on it of different subtypes. Um, mm-hmm. like I, the ideal turn in that deck is to try and score an agenda on turn two by installing Oak Town Renovation in the remote. Uh, I, I'm pretty, I'm pretty sure I borrowed, uh, Samus Modernism version three, like card for card, because I am a horrible corp deck builder. <laughs> um, so I, I like those from the UK. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um. His name is Seamus. I don't know his last name. He's like a. He's been on a couple of podcasts, I think, talking about this deck. But you can look it up on NRDB. Seamus Modernism V three. Yeah. So, uh, Rush Argus is very fun. Uh, I don't think it is the most consistent Wayland deck, but I had been losing a lot with my, not my, but you know, with a Blue Sun Glacier list. Uh, the prom- The reason I was losing a lot is because there's a lot of Stealth Shaper in my meta, and Stealth Shaper 
is one of the very few runner decks that can very adequately deal with Blue Sun, and actually more than adequately, like it, it crushes Blue Sun. <laughs> um, right, and so what do you think the main things in that matchup, like not specifically, but why do you think it's such a bad matchup? Uh, because you're... Okay, so Blue Sun Glacier runs huge ice, like Curtain Wall, Orion, uh, Toe Booth, right? Assassin, yeah. ice that ice that some runners struggle to get through. Like, it actually has a really, really good Dumblefort matchup because it runs Elizabeth Mills and two interns. There was So there was one <clears throat> there was one game in store championships where I was uh, Blue Sun versus Dumblefork. And every single time his wild side hit the table, I just instantly trashed it with, with Elizabeth Mills. So it was a very, very difficult matchup for Wizard because he was just having to manual draw through his whole deck. Right? Every th- uh, he installed wild side, I was just like, interns Elizabeth kill it. Install wild side again, interns Elizabeth, kill it. Um, so it was very difficult for him to get the cards he needed to to destroy my ice, which is the standard uh, modus operandi for that deck. Whereas Stealth Shaper, all they have to do is every turn install, they're ready to run because they have RDIs and shit, and then you die because none of your ice can actually stop them because they have stealth credits and you can't tax them out. Even with things, even things like Ash, um, which normally would st- would stop runners, Stealth Shapers are like okay. They don't have a lot of real credits, but they can. You can't have Ash on every server, so they'll just go after R and D, or they'll pluck single agendas from HQ uh, because you don't because you you basically don't have a scoring window unless you have Ash in the remote. So HQ uh, piles up with agendas, and then you basically lose. Or, Maybe it's a maybe it's a way of there's a way of playing Blue Sun that beats Stealth Shaper. I just don't know how to do it. I just have right, a horrible so sp- matchup. So I suppose it's a standard issue where if you're planning to score out of a room of a remote, but you're kind of glaciery and you need to get set up quite significantly first. Yeah. You'll never get into a situation where you can make them run through one remote fruitlessly and then set up a server that's secure like because stealth credits uh, are so efficient at getting through um, even very expensive ice uh, even very large servers are difficult to it's very difficult to create a server that can actually keep them out for multiple turns or you know make it so that if they run in once they can't run in next turn yeah, correct. The it was made even more difficult by the fact that uh, at store champs I was only running one curtain wall and two Orion, and Orion is not very difficult for refractor or dagger to get through. Right. Whereas uh, com- at least with curtain wall they have to spend real credits with Corroda or Lady. Yeah. Right? Yeah, that's right. Um, so it because I was only running one curtain wall it and it can't be everywhere at once right like I need it on r and d to stop being r and d locked and I need it on the remote to actually score agendas so I mean I know blue sun can shift it here and there, but it it i would I would do this thing where I would okay so it's on r and d now to protect r and d then I move it to the remote to actually try and score out an atlas and then they'll dig r and d for four cards I'm like oh, it's so hard. <laughs> Yeah, so um, it's the sort of thing where since you need to... Yeah, as I was saying before, since you need to set up a remote, it's kind of like the runner always has the chance to pressure the point at which you're weakest. And most runners nowadays are fairly good at taking advantages 
even especially in the late game of servers which are not heavily protected. Yeah, so I mean that's kind of the reason why I switched to Argus Rush because, like I say, it's a more high variance deck in my opinion. Um, like it, if you do not win by about turn ten, your chances of winning go down significantly unless you can kill them. Um, maybe not ten, more like fifteen. But yeah, uh, you don't you don't really have a long term game plan because your ice is poor, and if the runner gets a full rig, you're pretty much you, you cannot score out of a remote anymore. It's very hard. Um, so the most recent GNK I switched to Builder of Nations to, to try and alleviate that because Builder of, the thing that Builder of Nations does I find is that it makes the runner install things before running because uh, they don't want to lose it to meat damage. So that helps because it uh, lowers their tempo. It makes them slow down a bit. And I mean, the reason I'm bringing all of this up is because I think it'll all dovetail into our actual discussion topics, right? Uh, the question, yes, yeah, exactly. I know. I know. So it's all of the um, all of the things that people asked us. Should we, should we get into that actually? Now, now seems like a good time. I provided <laughs> yes, a decent I was transition going point. To, <laughs> I was going to segue into it very cleanly, but <laughs> I suppose we can do this as well. Um, so the first uh, question that I want to talk about uh, came in from one of our Patreon supporters. It was, let me just consult the internet. It was um, George Collard. Uh, I'm sure many of our long-time listeners have heard his name before. He's one of our very... Um, supportive most he's very active in the patreon group i suppose which is um cool because i really like the fact that the patreon group has grown into something where um lots of people can just hang out and talk about netrunner um and he asks uh when should i run i kind of paraphrase a little bit when should i run as a runner and how does scoring windows work um what's the best way to work out where the corp is most threatened at any point in time and i know that some people say that the best thing to do is it comes from experience like when you're playing a corp deck from thinking about where would i least like the runner to run um you can kind of use that information as the runner playing the same matchup so for example i usually find that um with it's very common to find that with fast advanced fast advanced decks especially now um post astro restriction if you're playing to fast advance most of your agendas then usually agendas will either hang out in HQ for a while or they'll get um, cycled through your remote. It's not super common. Like the worst possible situation is that you have uh, agendas in hand but no way to score them. And so, because then one, you have to keep those agendas in your hand. You can't really discard them or they're going to be more vulnerable in archives. But two, it also stifles you from setting up your game plan because instead of drawing economy cards or cards that develop your board, you're instead stuck with those useless agendas. So I suppose, um, what do you think of that sort of uh, idea from the runner's perspective of sort of reversing the situation and trying to put yourself in the shoes of the cop? I think that's a pretty decent way to do it, except that it presupposes that the player has experience as the other side, which they might not if they're very new. Uh, right, of from, course, you know, yeah, yeah you, you yeah. have to start from first principles sometimes. So, yeah, I guess 
if you can't really use that heuristic, what sort of things would you look for if you're trying to learn when to run? I think we should start with when to run because I I firmly believe that new players should play as the runner. I think they should be taught by a corporation if possible. Um, yeah. Okay, so when to run as a runner. Uh, mainly it depends on a couple of things. First of all, how you how you plan to win the game. Because, okay, we'll start with core set runners. There's three core set runners. There's Noise, there's Gabe, and there's uh, Kate. Uh, it may sound like a dumb question. How do you plan to win the game? Of course, you plan to win the game by scoring agendas. But not all factions, not all decks, score agendas in the same way, right? Because we'll take criminals for an example. Criminals in the core set don't actually want to have to deal with ice. They don't want to have to ever break ice if possible, right? That's why they have cards like Forged Activation Orders, Sneak Door Beta, Inside Job, um, because breaking ice is like is actually like a last resort for the criminals. They don't want to have to deal with it ever. So the way that they that they accomplish that is by keeping the corp poor enough to not being able to res ice. So cards like Account Siphon, cards like um what yeah, like forged activation orders to force the corp to either res ice or trash it, um makes ensures that the criminal either knows what the ice is so that they can get around it in either they have to find their breaker by special order or just inside job it or just avoid that server so but keeping the corp poor enough to not be able to res all of their ice means that the criminals can just keep uh, getting into servers that the corp can't afford to defend so to support that modus operandi the the criminal runner should be running without a rig as often as possible to force the corp to res ice like a click one turn one blind maker's eye or a blind account siphon might be a good play actually to force the corp to res the ice that they didn't want to have to res because if they res the enigma on the on the R&D or they res the wall of static on the on HQ or whatever then they won't have money to build a remote then they won't have money to defend the other central server because how do you expect the corp to be able to res hard stopping ice on R&D and HQ and archives and a remote all at once without having some kind of really strong economy right so that's so the criminal might might look to do that so run early run often run without a rig just force ice reses take some damage if you have to but that's all part of the game plan a shaper on the yeah, other hand uh, I was just going to say that one thing I always hear is that uh, you know how new new players are often reluctant to run just because you look at the worst case scenario when you're running but uh, something that I heard a while ago and that I usually think about is that if you never run, then all your opponent just has a bunch of, um, you know, zero-cost ice that ends the run and the runner can't possibly get through. Like, if all their ice is face down, it might as well not cost them anything to keep you out. And, and uh, I mean, I'm not saying you should run recklessly, right? You, you run with... Uh, you hold three cards in hand so you don't die to Neural Katana, or you install your Mimic first so that sentries won't uh, absolutely wreck your day. Uh, mimic or Ninja, or whatever your sentry breaker of choice is, right? So that if you have to break ice to not die, you can. But uh, the other, the other basic, um, the other basic thing, I guess, is if you, for example, trash a program 
is a very scary subroutine for new players because they're like, oh no, my precious program, I spent all this time uh, installing it. I'm not mocking new players, this is a legitimate concern. I mean, I'm, right? We've all had this experience with teaching someone how to play Netrunner, or not necessarily teaching someone, but try someone who's just starting to get into playing more seriously, they yeah. see their resources as being sort of the ultimate way to win the game. Uh, your resources, yeah. not the card type, but in general. Yeah, yeah, your your credits, your breakers, yeah. Yeah, if you have more things than your opponent, then um, for some reason the judges will just award the game to you. But, you know, the... Whoever has the biggest rig wins. <laughs> exactly, yeah. And you often see that, I think, with um, people who are not as experienced. Mm, yeah, um, which is why running early and often... I mean, a lot of people say run early, run often, but... I think they don't often elaborate the reason why. And the reason why is because when it's early in the game, you don't have anything to lose. Trasher program is a really scary subroutine, but if you have no programs on the board, then it doesn't matter. Right? Like you, you can you can face you can face plant a roto turret with no installed programs and you're fine. But if you have a rig installed, face planting a roto turret suddenly seems very scary, so you don't run. Which is, again, completely understandable. Yeah, and people also say, uh, especially when Architect was more common in the metagame, it's a little less now after the first MWL, but people always say, you know, I don't, I don't want to run because I might hit Architect, when in fact I think that the first click of the game is the best time to hit Architect. The worst time is definitely when your opponent has something in Archives that they can recur, because playing yeah. something from HQ, while it can be... It is an advantage. It's not. It's not a huge advantage, especially if they can't use it to score an agenda that turn, which usually yeah. happens if you run on click one or click two. Yeah, and and the thing is that if they install something from HQ, they're increasing the agenda density of HQ. Right, uh, which is some. Which is actually a, a, this. This is a slight segue, but another common mistake new players make, I think, is as the cop. I have a card. In, I have a hedge fund in my hand. I'm just going to play my hedge fund because it's in my hand. But if you play your hedge fund, you you decrease the number of cards in HQ, so the agendas are more likely to get uh, stolen from there. But that's a completely different topic. How how should I? When should I run as a runner? Um, you you should run when you feel like the the loss for the corp is higher than the loss for you, right? They've iced R and D. Make them res the ice on R and D, right? Make just run it. Just uh, if you have no programs, it's your first click of the game. Play your play your show gamble. Run the ice. If they res the ice and it's something um, that doesn't end the run, like maybe a hunter or a data raven, you know, something of that nature, you can then you can just deal with the effects. A hunter. Oh no, I take a tag. It's um, it's irritating, um, but you can clear it on the third click. That's why you run early in the turn. Uh, you got to you got to see one card off R and D, which is valuable information. Like for example, if you saw an Ichi, or if you saw a wall of static, then you know that the cop is going to have those ice, and you can prepare for it. So you don't run, uh, you don't face plant into an Ichi and lose your whole rig, because you're aware that that one of the ice that the cop installs after that could be Ichi. So yeah, so running gives you information. Uh, so you should run early and often. As if your if your plan supports that uh, builds like Shaper, for example, uh, what they might do instead is dedicate some time to building their rig, because uh, their game plan might be I have an unstoppable rig. It takes about 
seven or eight turns to set up, but once it's set up, I'm you cannot keep me out. Which is which is a slightly which is a slightly different style. Yeah, and of in play. that kind of situation, I think the thing to consider is the relative value of one of your clicks. Like when you have at the point where you have, you know, one of each of your three primary breakers, magnum opus, uh, a console, basically everything that you want, any anything that's not gaining money is basically guaranteed to get you into a server. It just costs however much it costs, right? But that can be considered only in terms of time. Whereas the time before you have that set up or, you know, the further you, you are away from having that set up, the more each click spent not setting it up kind of disrupts your game plan, which means that it's... I, I definitely don't think you should never run, but because you sort of have to... The most dangerous thing is that your opponent can set up a board state right like if they're going to set up adonis or sansan in a remote that can be much worse than um that can be much more dangerous if they can set that up than the chance that you might hit random points early so i don't think it's it's the case that you should never run early even if you're a slower deck but you should sort of focus your plan cost, what's your cost benefit analysis right are you going to make them res the ice that's protecting the adonis you should because even if you can't break it, you made them res it. So that's even if it's something uh, wall of static, right? Most basic uh, ice in in the core set, wall of static ends the run. But it costs three credits, so that's three credits from their Adonis that they don't see, right? Or that 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 you force them to spend. So that so maybe that maybe that maybe that three credits keeps them off their biotic labor, or keeps them off their sansan, right? Or keeps them off anything. So. You you can you so what's the cost benefit analysis right? Like you make them res the ice, um, to force them to defend something that they don't want to have to defend. Because remember, as the corp, ideally you want to res zero ice during the course of the game, because ice costs money, and you need money to score agendas. You need money to to actually win the game. One of the interesting there was an interesting observation about netrunner in that. Uh, I think which is which I think is really really cool, which is to win the game by scoring agendas or stealing agendas. You have to give up board presence, right? Stealing agendas costs money. Scoring agendas costs money. So if you as the runner go broke to steal an agenda off R and D, you are technically ahead in points, so you're technically winning. But you've given up so many so many resources that the cop might then have the ability to just pull ahead in points because they don't have to worry about you. Uh, which I think, which I think, is a really cool game design element of Netrunner. But we're getting slightly away from the point here. So cost benefit analysis: when is it when is it good for you to run versus the versus the cop? It's when it's to force the cop to do things they don't want to have to do. Running forces them to res ice. Cops never want to res ice. Cops want to keep all of their money so that they can score agendas and win the game. Does that make sense? Oh yeah, definitely. I think that that's basically the essential point. Is that um, the while the worst thing that can happen is that the corp can yeah the worst thing that can happen is that the corp uh, can spend all their money on advancing their game plan instead of um, stopping you yeah. spending stopping you, yeah. yeah exactly um, and what about anarchs you think uh, anarchs anarchs should run when it's cheap because they don't have a lot of money in the core set. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know if anyone remembers, but maybe for the first year or two years of the game, Anarchs 
didn't have any good any ways to generate resources early. <laughs> yeah, uh, I think I think Anarch should should just run when it gives them an advantage. Like if you have a data sucker, you should just try keep running R and D and force them to provoke a res. Um, and then it, when you have Mimic and Yog and it's going to be really cheap to make runs, then just make runs. Like uh, and you have Cyber Feeder to help you pay for for breaking ice. Um, or you can just not have to just not deal with the ice and just parasite it, right? Uh, disrupt the corp that way. Your ability as noise disrupts the corp even more. So, so anarchs in the core set are more about being disruptive to the corp's game plan than advancing your own plan, in my opinion. And eventually, the agendas will just pile up in HQ and you just go grab them. Uh, which 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 segues very very briefly into where do you run? And the answer is where the agendas. If you don't see them on R and D, they're probably in HQ. If they're not in HQ, they're probably in R and D, right? Or installed on the board, or hiding in archive somewhere. Because there are twenty, there are twenty points of agendas in the game somewhere, right? So, uh, you may have to slow down and think. Like I'm still guilty of this. I'll tunnel R and D. I will dig for fifteen cards on R and D and see no agendas, and not once think like, huh, maybe I should check HQ. Yeah, I think we've all had games where, you know, you have a medium R&D, you have parasited the last ice in R&D, R&D is open, you run, yeah. you know, three times this turn, four times next turn, you might score two points, and then at the end of the game, once your opponent has scored, they show you five agendas in hand, or three agendas yeah, yeah. in hand, one in the remote, one in archives, or something like. Yeah, and you're like, oh my god, yeah. Um, a general good rule of thumb uh, that I like is that one approximately one in every five cards in the corpse deck. Like I have heard that before, but I I just think it loses some of the nuance as to how the corp wants to get their agendas from one mm. zone to the other. Because as I I usually say, I think the most important ability or the most powerful ability that the corp has is the ability to manipulate where the agendas are, right, where yeah. in which zone the agendas are. So you know the fact that. If the HQ is piling up, the corp can transition earlier than they would like to building a remote. Or if R and D is um, thick because they can't find is dense because they can't find agendas, they might draw more aggressively to try and find those agendas to put in the remote or to fast advance. I think that it's more important to consider what's if. If the cop was looking for agendas, what sort of thing would they do? If they had too many agendas, what sort of things would they do? Because, you know, it's, I think it's usually right to say that in most corp decks, if the corp looks like they're, board they're not advancing their board position as much as they would like to, like their actions maybe aren't as good as you might expect, then maybe they're flooded with agendas. I think that might be more uh, another layer to it uh, as, you know, in addition to just simply the number of cards the corp has seen. Right, yeah. No, that's a that's good point. Thanks for adding nuance to that. Uh, which actually, I think, brings us nicely to scoring windows. Uh, yes, it does. Scoring windows are sort of a concept I didn't really understand when I started to play Netrunner. I know maybe people who have listened to this uh, cast a lot, maybe it's hard to imagine me just starting to play Netrunner, just, I guess, maybe because of how I talk about it, but like, I was very bad for a very long time just because, you know, I would sort of not really understand what the runner wanted, especially, like, especially, I guess we'll talk about from the corpse perspective, I would, the corp would just, uh, I would just do things as a corp and I would not think about how the runner would want to react to that, you know, like they were keeping cards in hand and I'd try and go for a remote and they'd stim hack into it. I'd be like, you know, how do you have the stim hack when 
obviously they've had no opportunity to play the stim hack before in the past so they're going to see it see it, the opportunity and pounce on it and it's going to work out well for them because they didn't think that about that possibility would you say it's fair to say that the that that advice when do you run as the runner if you reverse it that's when do you score as the cop it's when the runner doesn't want to have to run or can't uh, run. yeah but I mean the inf- like that's I was saying before that that the sort of information disparity like you don't always know if you're playing a corp deck you don't always know what the runner is wants to do in that situation just because you don't know the cards in their deck or the cards in their hand right so right, yeah. it's kind of it's more you have to be a bit rougher than you would like to be you ha- have to think more generally if I'm the runner in this sort of situation would I want to run and like you know the runner usually wants to run if the the run's going to score them points or disrupt the corpse game plan but yeah. if they're not prepared to run then scoring can be good but like it's the sort of thing where scoring points you know if you're going to try and set up a remote very early as the corp and score say like a vitruvius or something in a regulary uh hp deck then it can be even beneficial i guess the reverse of what you were saying earlier it can be beneficial for the runner because you've lost too many resources. Say, you, you know, they run the remote once, you have to res the ice, then you score the Vitruvius on your second turn, and then both of your essentials are open and you've given the runner basically two, maybe three free turns, depending on what you've done. Yeah. So a scoring window is the corp. Let's let's go for the, mas- the most basic example. The runner has no credits, no install breakers. This is a clear scoring window, right? It's very easy for even uh, for even a beginner player to see this. Right. right, but it might not even be the situ like you know in a m- more broad sense, my point is that even if there is an opportunity to score, it might not even be the best time to score like yeah, it yeah. might be that in that situation you might be able to set up uh use that time to set up something like a server that's more impenetrable than even than is now, and then you can score seven points in quick succession later on in the game and it's not necessarily that because it's safe to score you should score so i think it, it has to be very carefully considered where whether scoring as you said before because scoring costs you money and by necessity decreases your board presence it's very important to find ways to score that don't hurt your board presence or even enhance your board presence like that's why scoring nisei nisei mark ii is so strong because yeah. the first nisei usually leads to the second nisei which can lead to the five for three or whatever and that's the ideal situation as the call yeah similarly hostile takeover is a strong agenda because uh not only does it give you money it turns on archer which is possibly one of the best size straight out of the corset yeah and we've all face planted into an archer and then regretted what everything we've done in our life (laughs) i still i still make my opponents face plant into archer mostly out of jinteki and they're like, oh, Archer, I completely forgot about this card, and I've just lost my <laughs> yeah. ball rig. Um, yeah, definitely. I- I'm no stranger to it. And I think, um, despite all we said before about, you know, you should make the corp res cards uh, to pressure them, it still sucks. <laughs> yeah, I- and I think, I think though, that it is, it is probably better to be too aggressive uh, and, and, and take some horrible, horrible damage then you'll then you'll remember um, that the corp is capable of this, right? And 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 archer sucks, yeah, but it doesn't suck as bad as if you have no breakers. 
at all. So you oh the corp gets two credits in and end the run. That's not that big a deal. Back to scoring windows. Um, how do you identify when you when when you should score? When you have enough resources, that scoring won't pull you down on other servers is important, as you said. What else? And also, I think that um, the remote. It's the kind. I think it's very important to think about going back to the point before where I said that the most important uh, ability that the corp has is the ability to manage where the agendas are and I guess that's why Jackson I think is the most important corp card not only in terms of power but also in terms of game dynamics in general yeah. um, managing the agendas uh, yeah it's the sort of thing where if the runner's going to run one of your three main servers R&D HQ or your your scoring remote that each of those servers you want to have a relatively even um, cost like cost to benefit from the runner you don't want the runner to be able to play medium hammer r&d three times uh if all the agenda if you have no agendas in hand and no agendas in your remote but you also don't want the runner to be able to waltz into your server to your remote and steal three points um when the server's not particularly safe but then again if the difference is between like having three agendas in hand and having hq not be safe i think it's usually better to try and put one agenda in a remote if you're going to need to create a remote to win the game anyway like then to just put an extra ice on hq i see that happen a lot where people just you know i have lots of agendas in hand they'll just put an extra ice on hq sure it might take it might keep the runner out for like a fair few turns but you're no closer to actually winning the game if you need to build a remote to win the game and so You've just used one of your ice that you could have used as on the remote. Yeah, and presumably it's one of your more valuable ice because the runner doesn't have a breaker for it yet, and that's why you put it on HQ. And so, yeah, that might keep them out, and you might not lose as quickly, but it's usually better, you know, if you have three agendas in hand, putting one in a remote that might not be entirely safe, but might be reasonably safe, and leaving HQ, they they can run HQ, it might cost them a little bit, they might have a 40% chance of hitting an agenda, or they can run the remote and they'll need to find a breaker. That's much better than they can't run HQ at all, but you have no remote and you're no closer to scoring any points. Yeah, sometimes you just have to take the risk, right? Like, sometimes I will jam an agenda in a remote to test the runner to see if they have the breaker to get in. So, like, I'll, I'll put an agenda that I don't really care about that much. Let's say Oaktown Renovation. I, I like Oaktown Renovation. I think it's a great agenda. But if the runner steals it, okay, it's two points, Right. Or, or NAPD contract is great for this. You install advance, it looks scary, and then, oh, it's NAPD if they manage to run the server and they, they may or may not be able to score it. Uh, so sometimes you can just let like install an, an advance and agenda that, that to test the runner if they can get in. If they can't get in, fantastic, you just score it. If it's Oaktown renovation, it's even better because you got money for scoring it. Uh, and then you can put the then you can put the agenda that you do care about afterwards so let's say you you install advance uh, an agenda they run in and steal it they spent resources to run in and steal it so now and and now it is, this gives you information let's say they install the corroder and they stim hacked so that's one less stim hack that they have and now you know that they have their corroder so now you can more accurately gauge whether you still have a scoring window or not yeah basically the way that the runner gives information to the corp or vice versa is by playing their cards or resing their cards so you know if they have five cards in hand lots of money then those five cards could be anything. You know, you have a reasonable grasp of what they could be, but the only way to know whether the runner has the tools to get to a server or not is to force them to play those tools. Yeah, yeah. 
because they could they could also be bluffing, right? It's not it's not uh, it's it's they could be saying okay I'm just going to gain some money make it look like I have breakers so the court won't score but actually I'm I'm planning to I'm building up to a medium play or a, or a HQ legwork because. I don't actually have the breakers and I want the, the the cop to pile the agendas. Yeah, exactly. Like going back to the situation I was talking about before when you have lots of if when you're flooded on HQ, you feel like HQ is very unsafe, but you want to create a remote. Like even if you do threaten the the like create a remote and threaten the runner, they might still decide. They might say R&D is open, I'm going to run R&D because presumably at by this point you haven't put any defenses on R&D if you have so many agendas in hand. Um but also so they might think one, I'm gonna go for R and D, which is probably the like least valuable server to go for at that point in time. Or I'm just gonna set up so that when my opponent, you know, gets they can get to three points, five points, that's okay, but I need to be able to stop them from scoring like the last point. So I need to set up. So like yeah. I guess if you're gonna be proactive, there's always the chance that the runner might just ignore your threat entirely. If if you're trying to think about whether to um, sort of make your servers more secure, make the run not be able to get in, or like present a threat, then if you present the threat, the runner might ignore it, or they might have to face it, or they might choose to face it. And like, you know, whereas if you just kind of turtle up and protect your centrals, then you're saying, I don't have to, you know, you can basically do what you want to do, which is uh, build up your board anyway. And I'm not going to force you to do anything. Yeah. And so, like, yeah. yeah, just quickly, I think you even see that very commonly on, um, like, even on videos, I see it very commonly where, um, you know, a corp might place an ice in the server or, and then, you know, draw some cards or gain some credits, like create a remote and then draw some cards and play some, and gain some credits. Whereas, Basically, at any point, if possible, I will. I'll try and put something in that server so the runner has to at least think of it as a threat because an empty remote is basically not doing there, not doing anything for you every turn that's empty. So I think, yeah, I hope that makes yeah, sense. Yeah, even <laughs> if you put a even if you put a pad campaign in there, the runner might think, oh no, it's a three for two agenda, and I have yeah, to. Yeah. Whereas it. if there's nothing there, there's no threat at all. And so I guess the point is, on both sides, the way you're going to win is by forcing the other side to interact on your terms. Yeah, that's right. Which is kind of the heart, the essence of scoring windows. Like, you know, when the trade is going to be unfavorable for the runner or they're going to be forced to ignore it, then you probably have a scoring window. Yeah, that's it, right? It's the unfavorable trade because no server is secure. There is no such thing as a server which is completely impossible for the runner to get in or it sorry it's not that there's no such thing but it's incredibly rare right usually the runner can get into any server make it make it so they can only get in once or twice before it absolutely cripples their economy or it would be so prohibitively expensive that they would need to save up for several turns before they can make a single run yeah right? it's functionally that's, impossible like yeah so that's the goal of ice it's not actually to like stop the runner dead although sometimes it can but ideally it should just make runs expensive and prohibitive enough that the runner can't repeatedly do it yeah and like when i started playing the game and this is a bit of a tangent but um i'm i looked at pop-up pop-up window was one of the first cards i saw and i'm like well, why is this card in every deck like you know or not every deck but why is this card being played so much when the runner can just pay a credit and you've just given them an access basically but i think you know once any cheap ice is like that 
at, at some point the runner is going to be able to get into all of your servers so why not just play a card that gives you the benefit of like a three or a four costing ice in that it costs them a credit and gains you a credit but only costs zero to res itself all right so that's all the time we have on the winning agenda today i hope this uh, lesson in basic strategy was informative and please recommend this to all of your new or prospective netrunner friends if you can uh, as always, I'm Wilfie Horrig. Today I'm joined by Calvin. So thanks, Calvin, for being here. And we will see you again next week to continue this uh, new player discussion. If you want to get into contact with us, of course, you can do so uh, at our Facebook page. We are The Winning Agenda. You can do so by email, thewinningagenda at gmail.com. You can do so on Twitter. Oh my God, there's just so much social media nowadays. Uh, you can do so on Twitter at, <laughs> at winningagenda. Or you can go to our Patreon page, uh, patreon.com slash thewinningagenda, if you want to support our creation of great content. So, uh, as always, thanks to everyone for listening, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Cool. So, we'll stop that one. Okay.